Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Hey, welcome to another episode of Perceived Value. It's kind of a funny thing. I am all about being transparent when it comes to finances and the logistical aspects of my career. But for some reason, I get real weird when it comes to asking for support for this podcast. I just don't want to turn anyone off by asking for money. And truth be told, I'm going to continue doing this regardless of whether or not I get paid. But it would be kind of nice to have a little cash flow coming in to cover expenses. In June, I did this thing. I launched a Patreon. It's basically a platform created to help artists get paid for what they're already creating. And it's pretty simple. You can sign up for various tiers. You can become a monthly patron, meaning every time I publish an episode, you as my patron pay me a certain amount. Or you can just throw a few bucks at me once and call it a day. That works too. Similar to platforms such as Kickstarter, there are rewards for the different tiers. I'm still working those out. And amazingly, although I have done a real lackluster job of promoting my Patreon, I got some patrons. So I wanted to take a moment and thank them, but also just say, hey, I have a Patreon. And if you enjoy the podcast and you want to support me, check it out. It's patreon.com slash perceived value. And there's a link in the description of this podcast. So to my current patrons, uh, Phil, Joanne, Mallory, Erica, Jim, Jessica, Elise, Chantel, I really hope I'm saying your name right. And Barbara, I want you all to know that your support means the world to me. No, really, it blows my mind. You guys are the best. In other news, this podcaster is headed to New York City in the coming week for a very special interview. And while I'm there, I'm going to be doing an Instagram takeover for New York City Jewelry Week. And their handle is NYC Jewelry Week. So check it out this Monday. That is August 27th. You can follow along with me as I visit the 92nd Street Y, which is this multifaceted cultural institution and community center located on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It's been around a long time and they do a lot of amazing things. And I'm very excited to get to go there and meet the people who make things happen there and get a tour of the facilities. And all the while, I'm gonna be sharing it all with you through New York City Jewelry Week's Instagram account. So follow along so you don't miss out. All right, let's get to today's interview. 
My guest is, well, a total badass in my opinion. She's the type of person who is not afraid to take on an opportunity, even when she knows she's not quite qualified for the job. She's a blacksmith, and her work is concerned with social justice and community. Rachel David is someone who loves to geek out about her admiration for others' work and endeavors, which I find incredibly endearing. She is a force to be reckoned with. She lives in New Orleans, where she runs her business under the name Red Metal, which is her initials, but also quite perfect for a blacksmith. So please welcome today's guest, Rachel David. at Oxbow I think it was in 2008 maybe Mm -hmm. and um so I went to I went over to Oxbow to just be like hey I've heard a lot about you and um I don't even remember I was just totally crushed out on this girl making scissors (laughs) (laughs) you're like can't remember the rest of the story this hot girl was making scissors (laughs) dude I would be kind of crushed out too on anybody making scissors that's amazing I just wanted to help her out because she was kind of struggling and I was like I got can help you <laughs> you're like let me help you i love projects oh my <laughs> so, God. shameless I, I know i'm terrible <laughs> no, it's good. That's so, so am I. whatever um well rachel hey hi how you doing doing good uh thank you for coming to my living room and sitting on my floor with me <laughs> this is a pleasure yeah thank you um so i'm sitting here with rachel david blacksmith do you how do you describe yourself blacksmith blacksmith to those in a metalworking field mm-hmm. and then metalworker to the lay public okay oh it makes that's good. Yeah. a much less abducting conversation yeah. kind of title <laughs> i mean i think i was joking around with you i typically when i have somebody on the podcast i'll send them an outline or questions so they can feel comfortable and i think i reference like blacksmithy like talking about (laughs) when you say you're a blacksmith the first thing the public usually says is like oh sick man do you make swords not lying (laughs) (laughs) oh but down south it's like can you help me with my horse and i'm like oh no oh that is not what i do oh my gosh that's so funny i never thought about that yeah because they they want you to make their shoes for the horses yeah yeah. that's like a whole very involved like veterinary education Oh, yeah, it's very specific. Oh, it's very specific and totally respectable. And people are really, really good at it. And I just am not one of those people. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think it's the same thing with, like, someone being like, oh, man, can you make me some knives? I'm like, yeah. totally. uh, It's alchemy. It's amazing and magical. (laughs) And I will refer them to the people that I really like their work. Yeah, this is my (laughs) friend Andrew Mears. He's a master bladesmith. Exactly. That shit is hard. Here's this one, April Franklin. Oh, you're up north? Like, check out April Franklin. (laughs) Check out Andrew Mears. It's like these people are good yeah I, me nothing well yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not me <laughs> well it's like always and i relate to that not as much but um with jewelers it's always oh you're a jeweler can you do this for me and it's there's such a wide range of skill sets within that oh, totally. umbrella title totally like metalsmith and, so and it's like the right thing to do if you at all respect your friends slash your clients like i make a knife for someone that I love personally because it's like a gift from me. Yeah. If and I if that's what I know that they're like I'm just looking for this thing and you do this thing and I love you and you love me and blah blah. Mm-hmm. But 
I won't make a knife to sell it or for on commission. Hell no. Yeah, like, I no do way. not trust myself. You would enough. make no money off of that shit. Oh no, I am not set up for it in yeah. the least. I've learned that through taking commissions when I was dumb and on inexperience being like yeah sure i can make this diamond ring for you and it takes like 60 hours and you build them for 10 or something it's just oh, ridiculous ouch yeah yeah all right so rachel david is in the house um we're in philadelphia but you don't live here no i live in new orleans but i frequent philadelphia yeah your family's here my family's here though i'm not from here that's also funny because where are you from originally i'm from new jersey then i grew up in baltimore and now i live i've lived in new orleans for 14 years significantly longer than i've lived in any other place in my life so that's interesting because i you know i I call seattle home often because i lived there for almost seven years and in my adult life that's where i've lived the longest out of any place so i really do identify myself very strongly strongly with Seattle um and I could see how you would do the same with New Orleans especially for 14 years sort of but it's not like like if you're not born and raised go to high school in New Orleans Mm -hmm. like you'll never be from there oh so they're like like Maine it's like that yeah yeah we're like (laughs) all right all right you can yeah you get what I'm saying it's like if you're not from there yeah. Going to high school, talk about well, whatever. Football, it does have a whatever. very transient cult- culture. Like a lot of yeah. people move there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and that's fine. I can get that. It's I'm a uh, I'm in a moment of being a little like okay, that's good. Thanks for excluding people to like <laughs> the deficit of your city. I don't mind. <laughs> like, all <Peace>. right, <laughs> own a house here. Don't mind me. I'm just paying taxes. Um, okay, so you grew up in Baltimore and these other places. Did you go to school? Like, where did you get your training? Um, I actually w- went to school for um, Russian politics and literature. I love first. God, I love this stuff. And when then, I meet <laughs> when I meet somebody and their degree is it's not literally my so far oh, away. I have n- very, I have somewhat limited training, like prof- yeah. like professional training. I have taken a few classes at Penland and I took a class at John C. Campbell and um, I have um, a real knack uh, for idolizing people mm-hmm. and so through those th- things I've like <laughs> pretty much and resentment of being told no yeah um, so I've very much just stubbornly like kind of pursued this thing that I found fascinating and like Mm -hmm. very um, uh, uh, like a a really understandable holistic approach to my understanding of the world Um, so 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 what you're saying is wait so you went to school you went to like a traditional college you Mm -hmm. started I went to I went to a few I went to Oberlin College and then I went to Evergreen State College oh my god okay all right so those two schools are very notorious Lena Dunham went to Oberlin (laughs) I met a few people that went there it's quite expensive and prestigious and then I I didn't go for very long yeah Um, did you make it through one year or yes Oh, nice. I was a, I was a double major in the conservatory because I played the bassoon, and I had played the bassoon for many years. Wow. And I was only mediocre, as my teacher said, and so I 
quit mm-hmm. um and then I, I dropped out and i worked at a plastics factory in town and i met a woman who was doing metalworking her name is elizabeth meadows okay. and she taught me how to weld and that came um very naturally to me and this is in oberlin yeah and okay. i worked for her and her husband's stone carving business and so i was super fortunate to like meet this very supportive woman and yeah. i hope she hears this because i'm gonna you know <laughs> mentors they're the best oh i've been so lucky with them so then you work for them for a while how when do you decide to go to evergreen and what do you take up studying there i after learning how to weld and being naturally good good at it or reasonably naturally good at it um i decided to go there because i'm not an academic type mentality um i'm very good but i'm kind of myopic and so i couldn't do anything other than one thing at a time and that does is not how school works yeah Um, so evergreen really while i didn't enjoy it it really worked for me and i was having a lot of pressure to get a piece of paper Mm, um and they took high school credits that i mean an evergreen is like if you guys don't know what it is they don't even give you grades like i didn't have one grade from college because yeah it's an olympia washington it's pretty woo woo very woo -woo. (laughs) like you don't even get grades you can go off on all these like adventures i took one class yeah i was there for one year so i was in college for two and a half years total oh wow so that that was how I navigated it. But what did you it. study while you were there, though? I built a class with Bob Woods as my like sponsoring teacher, and he mm-hmm. was relatively active in the Pacific Northwest. And I've been out there quite a bit and been trying to find him and emailing him. And is he a blacksmith? He is a blacksmith okay. and metal worker. And yeah. I've been really trying to find him and thank him for telling me. You know, Rachel, if you get that hot and hammer on it, you'll get it to do what you want it to do, which (laughs) blew my mind completely. It was just like, oh, obviously that's how you do it. Man, I love, you know, we have a parallel. We're kind of similar. I I went to college and was told I was a mediocre singer at the collegiate level. Dropped out. That hurts, right? uh, Yeah, but also I was just also. Like I was just like, yeah, I don't even enjoy this anymore. So it was. I was thankful to have been given a reason to be like, fuck this. I know, and I don't like school that much either. And luckily, I got a job, and then I met a mentor. So yeah, yeah. I totally feel you on that. Yeah, it was good to hear words like that. Yeah, (laughs) someone's yeah. So wait a minute, but you're in Evergreen, and it sounds like a pretty cool gig with this guy, but you just didn't like the structure Um, of the school or I just I'm very east coast yeah and there's a difference of personality very west coast it's very west coast and so I kind of had some miscommunications that led to like some animosity amongst other students and this and like not being one not wanting to be little girled even though I like had no idea what I was doing I just wanted to like not be like pushed aside because I'm like not the biggest person I'm like reasonably large and I'm like (laughs) strong and whatever and like size doesn't matter because no matter how whatever you want to do no matter what size you're going to figure it out because like you're smarter like you're smarter than that anyone 
is smarter. Well, Elizabeth Brim always said, like, the black says, she's like, well, you know, we might not have as many muscles or be as strong, but we got hips. And, and we know how to use those. everything and, on them. <laughs> yeah, you can do a lot with hips, man. Oh, totally. Yeah. Strong, you know. Upper body strength, whatever. I got these hips, man. Yeah. About. <laughs> like, put everything, stacked it up. You yeah. stack them up on those little things, and it's fine. Oh. And she's ugh, she's amazing. Oh, I know. We could have a whole podcast episode about that woman. Brim, hey. Um, <laughs> Hi. So, so you drop out of Evergreen, too. No, I actually graduated, but I did oh, my last did. quarter at Penland, where I met Miss Brim. Oh, yes. cool. Yes. So your last quarter, does that mean that you did a concentration at Penland School? I did with Megan Crowley. Oh, okay. I haven't yeah. met her, but I know the she name. She is incredible. Yeah. And Lady Blacksmith as well. I she's she was just compl- that class just totally blew me away and and um she I guess she told Warren about like she, like they had a debriefing at some point and she was like, "Yeah, I think that that girl's going to make like be in this for a while not non-blacksmithers we're talking about warren holtzman who is a blacksmith located here in philadelphia that i idolize and have for the last how long 13 years i've heard he's really amazing i mean my friend rachel's working for him now and she just is like he's a mad scientist like he's so smart she said and yeah, I I can't argue. <laughs> You're like, and I feel the same. Okay, so rewind real quick. Two schools, Oberlin, Evergreen. Did you pay for your own schooling? Uh, no, my parents helped me at Oberlin especially, and then nice. Evergreen was so cheap because yeah. it's Evergreen. That what is what it. So that's where I went after that. Yeah, I my parents are amazing, and school was a lot cheaper almost like 20 years ago, and yeah things are crazy now I can't imagine oh that's always good I think I forget to give that perspective too of when people go to school because yeah tuitions are just they are skyrocketing so I just feel like like what it's a completely like, different ball game something that gives you know it's weird I saw something on the internet which we all know how that can be a black hole but it was like by the year 20 blah 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 it's gonna be three hundred thousand oh dollars just God. to get an undergrad degree and i was like <laughs> and okay, you ha- at right. this point it's like everyone artists included need a master's and I it's know. like go go fuck yourself society like this is something has to change and like ooh, there i mean a lot of stuff has to change yeah something has to give this is, well you know that kind of brings me to the reason why I really love blacksmithing in the sense that the culture around it, like the education culture around it, has is still rooted pretty well in kind of like master apprentice. Am I crazy? Am I off the I mark with this? I think that's somewhat true. And I think that's somewhat true for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but there is, beca- because there is one school that has a, at this point, that has a master's in metal smithing including blacksmithing which That's is Southern Carbondale Illinois. yeah Carbondale yeah. yeah so Rick Smith who's the teacher of there he turns out some incredible smiths in this country and yeah. like really amazing and I have not gone I guess I'm I guess this is like public first public announcement but like I'll be the visiting artist there this year which oh, feels that's bad overwhelming 
Yeah. And is it for that thing that they do every year? For the Sims Conference. The Sims Southern Illinois Metalsmiths Conference. Yeah. Symposium. Symposium. Yeah. So I'm thrilled and terrified and feel lots of feelings about it, but um, I'm never one to say no. Yeah. Uh, I've said no to some things that I've continued to regret. Well, screw it. I mean, if they asked you, they obviously think you should do it. Yeah. So... I just hope to bring all of the humility and knowledge that I can share with them and like do something really weird. Yeah. That's the hope is I can just do something really, really weird and that they are like, this is totally not, this is creative. Okay. (laughs) Cause like I don't have a grad education. I don't have an art background. I've been always extremely self-conscious of that where I don't have credentials to say that I am like, I don't have any credentials and I'm very upfront about that and feeling uh, self-conscious is the, the, I mean, yeah, it's a big part of my practice and I accept that like, that's just like my baseline sentiment about most things is that I'm like coming at this being like, I'm going to try this thing and I've seen other people do it. So I like, I might as well try it and give it a go. Well, I could relate to that greatly. I definitely can. And it's interesting when I was living at Penland, um, I got really close with Leslie Noel, who's a program director there, and her husband Haas Haley, which Who is I also idolize. I know. So <laughs> you're gonna love this. She totally put myself put me in my place once when I can't remember what I was talking about it, but I was being down on myself again. I was like, Oh, I don't have a degree or whatever and she's like, you know, she's like, You need to stop with that. She's like, I don't want to hear this again or this attitude. And then she was like, Haas doesn't have a a graduate degree and I feel like he doesn't have an undergrad degree too it was something like that and when I know when she said that to me I was like oh my god but Haas Haley is like a total badass and she's like yeah quit bringing that up it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and it's like in our heads it is and that's part of this construct of like that society makes us think these things are necessary yeah but what it is is it's a really special opportunity to network yeah and to have time that is sacred for making what you're interested in and yeah. doing your research and that is something that i envy like yeah. in a big way i totally get that and i do I I understand that and like grad school and that's why it's but you can achieve that in a lot of different ways yeah now I'm like for sure I mean now it's like this weird thing where you know last year was last year or something like that I literally got paid to go to university and lecture about how I didn't go to a university how good does that feel it felt great and I stood in that room and told every student that I was like hey if this isn't working out for you drop out because it's not necessary yeah and I was just like are they gonna kick me out of the building (laughs) but it is I mean you can I feel like but this is my problem with that is perspective is that yes it is such a privilege to have that time and effort and you have the resources to fucking go for it especially if someone else is paying for it but you can also create those opportunities within your own life too yeah and And that makes a really creative situation you know where you're like like when i found you i just fangirled you Thank you. <laughs> I know. Hey, guys, Rachel was like my first fan of the podcast. 
<laughs> and she she was just like hey i'm coming to philly can i take you to a drink or buy you a drink and i was like oh i don't know who this person is but she seems really nice and then i was like oh my god i love her so now we're gonna be friends we're gonna be friends i love friends we're friends and now you're on the podcast you were like hey i'm coming back to philly i was like oh i'm gonna interview with this girl well because i mean i did want to talk to you about um the point of this interview is just getting the perspective of somebody like yours that has um well first of all you're in a male dominated field as a black female blacksmith so i want to talk about that perspective but also you um have created a path to your education and training that i find really interesting and also i really want to talk about the fact that you're successfully how long have you had your business i've been successfully i would say successfully running a business since 2012 but mm-hmm. faking successfully since 2008. Oh my God, yes, perfect answer. Um, <laughs> do you, When I look up your website, it's Red Metal. So is that the name of your business? Yeah, it's my initials are R-E-D. Okay, so. and then that works perfect for blacksmithing. Yeah, at some you, point it will be Country Forge, free range <laughs> metal, but <laughs> uh, until I move. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you started your business in New Orleans, or did I you? did, yeah, you did. Wow, um, it was n- easy and not easy. It does is not a city that facilitates uh, business standards yeah. or quality standards. Nor does it have a f- huge. It doesn't have a culture of metalwork, and it doesn't have a or of high quality forged metalwork, which means yeah. that I do a lot of education. And I do a lot of stuff that is um, just a, a little different than like if there were a culture of it. So I'm like put into a position where I'm like, yeah, you could, you might want that thing, but that thing that you want me to recreate is cast and you can just buy it at the store. So oh, do you want something it. that like is an artistic expression of this person that you're talking to, which it seems like you want, yeah. or do you want to go to the store and buy that, and thing. Buy that thing? And that's like a scary way to run a business, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what it has led to, I, I'm gonna say simply because um, of my lack of qualifications to take the jobs that I've been handed. Yeah. Um, but I've taken them and I've done a good job on them and learned from them. I've learned a ton from them. <laughs> yeah. Where I f- am starting to feel somewhat confident in my ability to fulfill those <laughs> jobs that I'm asked to do and that I design crazy wild. Can you make me an eight-foot-tall alligator that opens up and has a bar inside of it? Well, now, <laughs> now that I've made opening machines, yes, I could. Oh man! <laughs> so when you started your business, you finished Evergreen. I'm assuming you went on some adventures and whatnot. I went to Penland, yeah. and I got a job building glass blowing equipment straight out of that. Oh wow! And I moved Where to at? New Orleans in New Orleans with oh. Wet Dog Glass, Eddie Bernard. Um, who now has relocated post Katrina to North Carolina, okay. um, and I and I I'm sure he's st- I haven't kept in touch unfortunately, but I'm sure he's um, still a wonderful human running a awesome small business building super high quality things. Awesome. Um, so you gained I'm sure like a ton of experience fabricating and yeah. yeah. So 
I'm a reasonably good fabricator, though I'm not the most confident because I don't do it all the time. Yeah. Um, but when I do it, it's, it tends to work out okay. <laughs> yes. Magic. And then, um, and he, so that was my job when I moved to New Orleans. And then I worked, then there was Katrina and that was like a whole other adventure. And I didn't really have, I had a ton of adventures around that time and most of them are a blur and yeah uh i rode my bike for about a month and because you were just displaced so yeah you had to do something i had to do something so i i just needed some alone time and yeah. rode my bike cool. in the mountains and had some crazy adventures and then um hitchhiked back and i did a lot of hitchhiking in that for a long time you look like the type that would uh <laughs> be okay hitchhiking me? I think I would get robbed like immediately. You? I think you could do good. Throat punch. Yeah, throat punch. <laughs> Not saying I look like a puss, but... You don't. <laughs> but I definitely don't look like I could throat punch somebody confidently. When it comes out of nowhere, it's better. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I used to, like, I'm kind of tough looking now, but I yeah. was like a super skinny, like gawky, young, young, young person. Little young gun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, always ready to... Th- headbutt and throw a punch <laughs> so you uh hitchhike throw some throat punches get back no. to get no. back to new orleans i was with a friend of mine also I mean, oh like, awesome Safety i wasn't numbers. riding my i wasn't riding my bike with him but like we met up and he's been a friend of mine since high school and cool we've had lots of adventures and then we w- went back to new orleans and i worked at a few museums oh. and what was great about that after working for them for a few years um and I started right before Katrina. I had gotten a space in a building with a bunch of other artists. And I was one of the few who came back afterwards. Mm. And about a year after the storm, the owner was like back in town and ready to kind of look at the place. And it was a mess. Yeah. I mean, it was a mess prior. It was a real mess post. <laughs> yeah. So there was about five feet of water in the building and there was 20 some artist studios and I got oh, the whole building with some friends, but mostly by myself. And there's been like a long list of glorious people through that building. Um, my friend Eric Smith that you might know from Penland. Oh my God, with Eric me Smith. There. Yeah, I yeah, know that guy. He is glorious. What I dude. adore him. And our friend Taylor and like some really magical projects started there mm-hmm. and other so many really wonderful people had spaces and it was a wonderful jump off point. And yeah. so I managed that building for about five years. Post Katrina, like you got it and got it back up to mm-hmm. what it was. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. It took Did the some guy toll. pay you for all that or was it kind I of had like a- I had rent trade. Oh, OK. So um, which was somewhat reasonable. But I put a lot of my my own money into things like the roof, which I shouldn't have. But I had to because it was I was like moving my bed when it was raining. It was uh, so you actually lived in this building. I lived there, too, because I couldn't afford like rent was cheap then. Yeah. But it was just like I said earlier, like I'm quite myopic and only capable of doing one thing at a time. And so Mm -hmm. like I was gutting that building and that was what I was doing every day, all day. 
Because gotcha. it was 29,000 square feet of many multidisciplinary artists. Wow. Oh, it was really heartbreaking. Were you able to, I mean, I can't even imagine thinking about that. Like, would you go into a studio and it literally looked like somebody just walked away and they're like it's, material? Like everything was, picked up, floated around for three weeks and mm-hmm. set back down wherever. And it was a lot of like their materials, their all artwork, the materials, all the things. artwork. It was so heartbreaking. God, that's weird. It I was can't even terrifying. So then that whole year where it's just kind of sitting there and like the owner molding. hadn't been back and molding. I mean, in Katrina with that, it's like there was no pe- roof on part of it. People didn't have to keep paying rent. Like legally, no, no, like no. things just kind of like stopped. Like when something like that happens, it's just like, mm, no, uh, it was yeah. weird. I mean, I don't know what he did exactly. He wasn't, he's not the best communicator. <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, yeah. And I was always just like, oh, not my, not my business. Was it one level or how many levels? One level. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, everything got screwed. Yeah. Yeah. I and there was no there was roof. Like on, the roof came off on in. part of it. And oh, like wow. m- the roof was always, it was just terrible. It was how a, gnarly was it when you were living in there? <laughs> gnarly enough yeah okay all right i respect you (laughs) like a slight squatting situation that would be generous yeah okay i definitely did things in bags that you don't talk about all right all right (laughs) fair enough but you made it happen yeah and um we had many many beautiful years with like just like the most beautiful parties with beautiful people and it was a hub of like post Katrina punk scene, like mm-hmm. Earth First benefits, all so much benefit work happened there. So much yeah. like just so much music, so much stuff. Yeah, like it was such an honor to be able to provide a space for cool people to have cheap, cheap, cheap rent for their art, whatever art they were doing. Yeah, and like you got what you paid for. Yeah, you didn't. It was like the most expensive space was 300 bucks for like thousand, like a thousand plus square feet. I mean, like big spaces. I mean, we had like these, this friend who's recently deceased had like a brewer, a distillery and brewery. And he like invented a cocktail and he like, we, I love him so much. These places, I mean, it kind of sounds like places I know of like. I'm not going to say the cities because people like to shut these places down, but Rhinoceropolis, which I've heard it's gone anyways. That was in Denver, Colorado. But like you would build like make like people built like makeshift walls just to give themselves a bedroom in it or black. No one else. Not too many people other than there was like a house built into the side of the warehouse. Yeah. Um, So there was like a much more official type living space. Mm -hmm. But we kind of extended that and it was like, um, like there a were a couple kitchen where everybody kind of sort not so much communal because it was just like it was very small and yeah. Eric and I both take up a lot of space in our we had a third roommate Taylor mm-hmm. um, the three of us really took up a lot of space but people totally came in and used stuff and like l- every morning there was a huge pile of dishes in the sink of and of course um, but they were good years um, and it when it was time to stop it was time to stop yeah um was probably a little bit post time to stop, but like you can't withdraw from something cold turkey. Yeah. Um, or I can't, but it was a really, that w- that space that was so cheap mm-hmm. and so at slash work trade allowed me to kind of have the freedom to like 
do sh- these jobs at a museum, mm-hmm. which would be super, super intense. At what I had two jobs at two different, or I had one job at this, two different museums. Mm-hmm. I was a preparator. So I would go in, take a show down, and put a, the next show back up. So it oh, worked okay. out to be about six six weeks of work every eight weeks to eight to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So I would just work like crazy, like 14 hour days for six weeks and make what was a lot of money for someone who didn't have any rent. Oh yeah, what and would that then, be like? Like I don't remember. I think I got paid $8 an hour. Oh, so okay, like, but you're, you're still stashing away like. I was stashing yeah. away money that it would last me for two months. Yeah, because you're living like, so minimally. I had nothing, I, you know, we like, I'd had, next to no overhead I'm just, yeah. like we did all sorts of stuff to not pay money for anything cool so um because my friend eric was also trying to be a blacksmith and so we were like trying very hard and it was mm-hmm. not so successful but <laughs> we were trying very very hard yeah um but that time allowed me enough to kind of get my name out i was doing a ton of local craft shows also okay so i would like make product to sell every weekend out of steel so like bottle mm-hmm. openers like blacksmithing techniques kind blacksmithing of stuff? stuff and then so i did a lot of like blacksmithy normal kind of wares yeah um but then i've always been interested in furniture so stuff kind of got exponentially more complicated quite mm. quickly um but i started doing all of these craft shows and I was reasonably successful at it nice. and I was traveling more and more to do it and going all around the region like like ACC shows or like s- smaller did, regional shows I did an ACC show in Atlanta and I, I but it was it was a tough time to start a business in 2008 eight? Oh, yeah, you know like that was n- not ideal timing yeah but you can't help it so you start at the bottom whatever yeah um, <laughs> but I did a I did like for two years straight, I think I did between 24 and 36 shows a year. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. was working. I yeah, worked yeah. hard. Like that is not glamorous. Mm-mm. Travel, some of them were one Crash day shows. Show life, man. Yeah, and like lugging a ton of work around. It's like, <sighs> yeah. yeah, I did one and I some complained exercise. and it was in Philly and I'm a jeweler. So literally all my product fit in a hmm. small suitcase. I'm so jealous. And you're just sitting there like, choice. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so I have like a big van. Steel like, is heavy. <laughs> and I, now I, when I do, sh- I still do shows. I haven't been getting into as many as I feel like I should be, but that's just neither here nor there. But I like, I have to travel with my, sh- like I did one oh, you still a few them. weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. I just now I just do fairly large, primarily interior ones. Like last year, I did the Philly Furniture Show, oh, and okay. I got to meet some really cool people there. Um, it wasn't my show; people weren't expecting um, steel furniture. They were yeah. like, "This is wood." I'm like, "No, it's all steel." They're like, "Really? Oh, weird." Yeah. Um, but they weren't. That's fine. I I mean, like, I got to meet some really amazing furniture makers, um, and then. Yeah, but I take like engine hoist. If there was a forklift, I would use the forklift. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, I have a 500 pound table that I. Good Lord. Who do you take for shows with you? Do you have an assistant that comes with you? Sometimes I hire someone. I've mostly done shows by myself. So I've like worked out a system that just takes forever 
but you do it you just do it because like it's a really risky way of making a living you know yeah like sometimes it rains and (sighs) then i saw on the instagrams yesterday like a post from somebody that's set up for an outdoor show because memorial day weekend we'll have a lot of like craft shows and whatnot and overnight it had rained and hail and you just see this picture of their tent like completely destroyed but luckily they had packed their work away but i can't tell you how many times i've seen that picture of like an outdoor show i I would never do an outdoor show oh my god well it's intense it's very intense it's so risky i mean like i was at one in dallas a few years ago there was tornado warnings like terrifying you know like Mm -hmm. i'm not scared of I'm not too scared of a lot of things. I get worked up, but like I know what to do under pressure. But a tornado when you're like out in the world with just like plenty (laughs) objects, like thanks, no thanks. Yeah, I'm out of here. (laughs) Yeah. I grew Um, up in Oklahoma. Oh my God. Feel you. Too scary. So you're doing these shows, you're living in this warehouse space. Did you make a business just because of happenstance? Like you kind of just started doing it and the ball got rolling. It's not like you sat down and was like, I'm going to start an architectural blacksmithing company. Exactly. It was yeah. it was very much like, oh, I got, a, like I got a job doing a set of stairs and then I got another job doing a set of stairs. And then a really great guy like was like, I want you to do, he saw my work. He was like, this is interesting. I had like done a fire tool set and he was like, this is exactly what I want. And it was like these super intricate pickets and, uh, and like he got a great deal. <laughs> Cause you were, I had no idea, but I did a good job and he was like happy, happy about it. And it looks, it's still one of the things that I'm like, God, I can't believe I did that. You're like very proud of it. Yeah. I'm like pretty proud of it still. So, so if you had to give me, and for listeners, I don't know, you guys should know this term by now, but your uh, elevator speech, which any business class you take or whatever, they're like, you got to have your elevator speech down, which is if you bump into somebody in the elevator and you have two floors to tell them what you do. I don't have that. <laughs> I'm like, I do metal work. You've never seen anything like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an elevator speech. <laughs> if you want, like... Here's my card. Here's my card. Check me out. But would you describe your business as like architectural? Like, how would you describe your business? At this point, when people ask me, because I I do have like a short, it's not like a business, a pro business. It's not like a selling my business to an investor type speech. It's yeah. like a selling my work to a collector. Yeah. Um, or someone or a commissioning agent. Exactly. So when I'm talking to those people, it would be something like, well, this is what I do. I do a lot of architectural work, but I happen to focus on the sculptural nature of whatever piece I'm tasked with, whether it be furniture or a gate or a set of stairs. Like I want to take this as an opportunity to create a sculpture that you're living with because my brain um, overcomplicates everything and wants to do something like wants to be extra proud of what I'm waking up to do it and I want to learn and become better every day. Yeah. Um, if you would have stopped two sentences back where it was just like, s- makes it so you're living with sculpture, that like little spiel you went on, that's your elevator speech. That was a good yeah. one. Well, because I tend to have a lot more time with someone because they're yeah. like, I'm like 
face to face, they've contacted me most oh, yeah. likely. Oh well, of course. Or they've like walked into the booth that I'm standing surrounding by my like kind of terrifying furniture. <laughs> um, uh, so they know what they could, like they know what they're looking at. They're like, I kind of like this stuff. I kind of like that stuff. And mm-hmm. then I have like a, a book of some past jobs, um, which I'm like I sometimes like showing people that because Mm -hmm. it does allow them to understand that like they can have like I can pretty much build or figure out how to build whatever they need well I feel like that's somewhat of a disadvantage for blacksmiths often because the pieces that you build like if you build a staircase like how the hell are you ever gonna like you can't bring that to a craft show and photographing things can be difficult depending on the lighting or whatever but in person handmade staircases oh my god so they always look better in person but I've gotten like the couple of jobs that I've done locally I've had photographers go out to do to take yeah so that's like been amazing and then and if you do that do you tack that price on to your piece no hell no (laughs) it's it's um it's part of doing business yeah I don't like basically when I'm pricing stuff I'm figuring out how many days I perceive it's going to take me. Oh, yeah. I definitely wanted to get to this. It's like, oh, okay. Because I feel like blacksmiths have to have this whole other skill sh- set, which is, I feel like your work is predominantly commissions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that whole thing is a whole other way of learning. Like, did you have a mentor that was like... Terrible mentor. My mentor, Jeffrey Funk, is not <laughs> one to learn not about good. money from. But <laughs> he is an incredible thinker. Yeah. And so I... And I absolutely use the thoughts that he goes through in many facets of, and I might just project all of this on him because I think he's just such a right on guy. Yeah. Um, But like a lot of what I, I try to focus on is like achieving, um, achieving the, a a means to an end with an elegant process. Um, And so there might not be a whole ton of elegance in figuring out prices. Yeah. But I try to make it as reasonable and straightforward and like covering my ass as possible. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sometimes, sometimes um, that is allowed with, I try to first and first and foremost, I try to design within people's budget because there's nothing that is less fun is like coming up against a total like total misunderstanding of what the budget is so like i try very very hard to get a firm budget from my client and then i can very easily design like if it's a reasonable budget reasonable budget for what they want i can very easily design something that fits that budget and build it and feel like i'm getting paid well and they're getting a really nice piece yeah and sometimes most much of the time that works out Mm -hmm. sometimes though i follow a somewhat different matrix because i feel like as makers it's really important for us to understand what we serve and what we provide in this in this society and like Mm -hmm. thinking about it in terms of like really resenting late capitalism and wanting to like fulfill my duty as a righteous citizen like (laughs) Yes, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm making work for people 
and they're not all rich. And yeah. so what I sorry mm. you just keep saying things i'm like yes like i feel that way about contemporary jewelry so much it's like so it hard kind of hurts my heart that n- my friends can't even afford most of my work it's so hard yeah right? it's, yeah like uh breaks my heart a little i like to give a lot of presents fortunately i give a lot of presents <laughs> it's like my like a thing that I, I forget that like those materials cost a lot because i'm like oh it's done and it's been sitting here for a while and i'm like oh shit maybe i should stop <laughs> I forget that it's like many, many days of labor, but when it's like sitting around and you're like, oh God, whatever, I don't ever want to look at this again. Yeah. Like what's it, what's it anymore? Like it's been paid for by someone, you know, like something along the way has paid for it. I I also like, I have a very reasonable overhead currently, so I'm, I don't have any children. I, I am in a, a relatively on the edge but comfortable on the edge position financially and i yeah. can and i'm totally like no one i it says sounds really weird to say no one needs me because i know that like my friends and my family need me yeah but like i don't have a dependent right oh i so, think about that all the time i'm the same it's a huge choice especially for women in like a creative or in any field yeah but like in a physically demanding field like it's a huge decision especially if you like you know people like like there are a lot of expectations like but do you even have a dog i do have a dog oh okay she kind of clipped my wings does but she, i love her anyway does she go to all the shows with you when you do oh hell shows? no that dog bites no 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 <laughs> okay good deal no my dog is um 80 pounds of tough cookie so you have one dependent i have i used to have a cat too my my ex-boyfriend's ex-wife's cat lived with me until november when she died okay i love that whole phrase yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, i'm sorry about your cat oh sh- but I one was less not. dependent <laughs> i was ready it was yeah. sad but i was really ready because yeah, once she go. stopped mousing it's like what are you you're just dead weight what are you doing exactly <laughs> we all have purposes we all work carry, carry your weight <laughs> oh my god we're the worst i keep sidetracking us wait a minute i don't think we ever wrapped up the train of thought about how you actually price a commission right okay so but we were going so i we were getting took there. us slightly tangentially to talk about like s- who we serve because that's True. based on like some of my pricing schemes is based on who is benefiting okay because this is also because i don't have any employees or i don't regularly have employees Mm -hmm. um i will make a caveat soon yes uh i don't have payroll except for my measly salary which is measly yeah so um i can make those decisions and not feel bad because i want to make work for the people. I'm interested in large scale work and I'm interested in making a difference in the, in, in wherever I'm putting work I'm making, making whatever, like not waking up and being like, ugh, I can't believe I am like phoning it in. Like this is the worst and I will, I can't do it. Yeah. So, like sometimes, like last year I did two really, really big fencing sections that are still in the midst of like landscaping mess. Um, and so I don't have any pictures to share of them, but like they were 11 by five 
fencing sections for a development that's like quote unquote mixed income. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in the, there's a lot of low income subsidized housing in the development and it used to be the projects. And I've worked for the developers many times in the past and sometimes they pay me really, really righteously. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this project they couldn't because they like dug up two blocks that were gonna be housing sections for, and they were like yellow fever graveyards. That was freaky. Wow. Um, but what I justify for myself in taking and doing a good job in this is that like lots of kids who don't go to great schools see this stuff every day. Yeah. And they're like, and like I've been there fussing with something while I was finishing installing it and like heard kids be like, look at this and look at this part of it and look at this and it's like if I'm making like really underserved kids happy and like looking at something that they've never seen before mm-hmm. that's a pretty big payment for me like yeah and there's also something to be I mean I know with like lower income housing or projects and places like that usually it's just like the cheapest materials exactly. to get it up and exactly. fast and so it's like here's a beautiful gate and that's like, what I can contribute and yeah. I just feel like I have the privilege. I have so much. Yeah. And I need to do something with it. And since I am a maker, I yeah. have a power and that is vested in my products and my yeah. and my projects and how I run those projects. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's been a solution for the big question amongst many luxury providers of like how do we serve like how do we contribute how do we deal with the vast difference of wealth discrepancy between us and our clients and between our like who sees and enjoys our work and like who the commissioning agents you know these are huge questions yeah i mean it's like a hot topic with all of us i mean for a part of me it's like i feel like an asshole sometimes because i'm making this like contemporary jewelry that like this very small demographic of the population would be a collector of or even be able to afford and then it's like where are they going to wear it and it's just uh, i don't know exactly it's a really big question i'm yeah like part this is part of what really in- intrigues me about this podcast in particular mm-hmm. is that it's like well, these are the questions of our times and like yeah. how do we answer that and like for me i talk about this a lot where it's just like our products are in our product pro- our powers are in our products is like yeah. a little really easy thesis to say it and to use that and take some planning because we're beholden to the money like we have to live off the money we make and we like establish lifestyles that we want to ch- keep and like we do that but like for me this is what I can do and this is what I believe in and this is like part of the game that I'm pursuing um, cause it's like really hard for me to live with like not doing my, I get, it's rooted in part, it's rooted in not being able to do my part. And then as, as like someone who is inherently an activist and has been, and like comes from that kind of family, mm-hmm. um, and like live, wants to live that life, but is also like completely engaged in this weird pursuit of making. Yeah. Um, so this has been my answer. I know there are a lot of answers, um, that people hold, hold in their hearts. And, um, this is just what has, this in part has presented itself to me. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's great. It's like your way of being able to, yeah. Yeah. I get that. But so that has to do with how I price things also. Well, yeah, your, I mean, you can go like your perceived value of the person's exactly. wealth. Like, oh, this person, like. Part of it is what? $10,000 is someone's a dro- shoes. Yeah, $10,000 is a drop in the bucket for this woman. You know what? Ugh, do you get this? Do people like haggle you with, is that the right word? Like with prices? Nothing. People have definitely said that's an expensive piece of steel to me. And I'm like, you have, you no. should come to my shop. Yeah. You should come to my shop and see how it's made. But also, it makes my blood boil when you when I'm at a show and somebody who obviously is dripping in wealth and they haggle you over a hundred dollar pair of earrings, which yeah. is like them going to H and M and buying like a fifteen dollar pair of earrings. You know, like that perspective for me is like nothing makes me more upset than being like, no, you can't have a discount. Yeah, because you're it's, literally taking profit out of my pocket. Yeah, I. We're going on a tangent, but that felt really good to say out loud. Cause oh, yeah. <laughs> it just it's pisses like, me off so it's much. It's really infuriating. And how do you yeah. deal with it? And then when you're like, I at this last show that I was at, like, I got some really oh, did you, amazing. Did you get that at shows a lot? I get all sorts of advice at shows. Oh, well, yeah. That could be a whole other podcast. The shit people say to you at craft shows. <laughs> oh, I, if you do that, call me up. Because, oh, like, I have a, I have a list would. a mile long. <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny. Me and my mentor like started a list like of things that people said to us that we just couldn't believe. And if you write them down and then read over at the, after at the end of the day of the glass of wine, like out of context, you're yeah, just it's like, so good. damn, I can't believe that person said that to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like people commenting about your personal presentation. Oh, yeah. And and they would never say that to a man. Also, mm, that is a good point. No one would ever ask a man to shave his armpit hair. Am I correct? Never. 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 I like your armpit hair, by the way. Thanks. You did a little thingy thing, and I was like, oh, look at you. Yeah, because someone has asked me to shave my armpit hair <laughs> in public while I'm standing in a hot parking lot. <laughs> working. <laughs> working. Trying to sell them not my person. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to scream, but I want to. <laughs> Okay, I gave, I gave them I gave them uh, some words. <laughs> so I feel like we've definitely given listeners kind of a like a description of you as a person, right? Like you're obviously the type of person that make the DIYer. Like no, literally, you're gonna make things happen, and your business, a big part of it is that you do keep your overhead very low, and you do live a certain lifestyle that you don't need a whole lot of income to achieve but would you say the way that you with your business you're making a choice right because your freedom and ability to make what you want and have this kind of independence is important to you because i'm sure you could have a job and make somewhere else make a lot more money yeah i would have had to make that decision like a little while ago yeah. Um, I'm pretty invested in this at this point. Yeah. But yeah, I've made a lot of decisions where it's like, you know, I don't need to do that because I would rather make make this work that I'm yeah. proud of that needs this piece of equipment. And like, I don't mind that. Like, I don't mind living frugally because it's like... I'm in good practice with it, I guess, is part of it. And then part yeah. of it is that, like, I, I don't want more. Yeah. Um, I, don't kn- I don't need, like, fancy, 
I don't I don't need for anything and I can't yeah. imagine I hope that 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 doesn't change like my health is good um my Are family you able is, to give yourself health insurance through your business? I have health insurance. Okay. Uh, I have is a, it through I, the government. Like it's Obamacare. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm so happy about it. And I nice like super proud of it. And I hope I never give it up. Mm-hmm. And no one ever wrenches it out of my fingers while I'm living. Did you get a discount because you are a small business owner or something? I have incredible subsidies um, oh. because it's you know it's a through it's it's judged by your income and i don't have a huge income and yeah. my cpa is very supportive and she works with a lot of artists and i have um gone through a few bookkeepers but they've all been really like helpful with all of these things so like i'm not a great money person i'm reasonably good at bringing it in yeah. i'm good at not spending too much yeah um but i don't do my own books i don't do my own taxes they are not things that i enjoy i am happy to hire people to do that that is such a thing i took a business class and i remember it like was ingrained in me where he was like my accountant is amazing. He's like, I've had him for years. We have a really nice, close relationship. He's like, I can't... They know st- everything about you. Yeah, you, he's like, I can't stress that enough. He's like, find an accountant, find somebody that understands what you do, who you have a good rapport with, and then stick with them and create and build that relationship. Exactly. Because that person can screw you over or like oh, yeah. save the day. Oh, yeah. So yeah. like my CPA has power of attorney with all IRS dealings. I don't hear about any of it she's amazing I love her like because when because like I keep saying I am only good at doing one thing at a time yeah whether it's tax season or not so (laughs) yeah um, I have to say like I'm dropping the ball hard on that I haven't found a I haven't found an accountant in Philly yet because I don't know where did you find yours did you just like find one I talked to the arts council (gasps) I talked to my local arts council and that and they were very very helpful with that in that regards mm-hmm. and um i've dug a little bit just through the word of mouth stuff yeah i've made decisions so from you know this person says this this person says this but for real the arts council was very helpful with that yeah and so i ended up working with a cpa of my form that my former bookkeeper worked with yeah. and in true new orleans style she was arrested and her mugshot was all over for <laughs> embezzling money not from me but then she skipped town yeah and then a friend of mine that i had referred her to because she was like a reasonable human like I, we wouldn't yeah. be like friends but she was reasonable i didn't like her husband um but amazing. She, my friend was like, I gave Jane $200 and she didn't do my taxes. And I was like, oh, hell no. You. So then I like fired her. Yeah. You don't steal from a friend. Oh, you no. You don't st- like she had also, two. Like, it sucks she had enough two. having to do your taxes. Don't steal that from somebody. <laughs> yeah. She had two <laughs> points racked up against her before that. Like yeah. being arrested for embezzling money and then being like, then skipping town to go to North, move to North Carolina. Neither of which I was like, you know, you make mistakes. Right. Whatever. <laughs> Three. Mm. Mm, still from your friend so do you understand clearly how you pay your accountant like is it like an hourly or I pay them hourly yeah okay how how much is that, is that a lot? Uh, it ranges it depends on how 
really it's very much how busy I am. So yeah. how many receipts I put through oh. is very much in relation to how much, uh, how many hours they're spending on it. Because even though I've paid an accountant before the last few years to do my taxes, I'm like still a little, like it's hourly, but like how much am I paying them? Or I'm very clear with that stuff. Like yeah. it makes some people kind of uncomfortable how I'm very, I just need to be very explicit about money because yeah. I run a business. I want to understand where it's going, whether I care how, I also like, it takes how long it takes. I have a very deep understanding that like, yeah. It shit takes time, whatever. Yeah. Um, please don't waste my time. Please don't waste my money. But um, I understand, like, I want you to do a good job. Like, yeah. I want people to understand that I want, I do a good job mm-hmm. and it takes time. So it's, so I'm maybe more lenient than a lot of people. How much do you, do you know how much you pay your accountant per hour? Because I feel like a lot my, of people get scared and think an accountants are like super expensive no matter well, what. Well, my current bookkeeper is still in school for it, but she's like, a friend of mine and I hope I'm not giving her a break I mean I hope she's not giving me a break because yeah. I want her to like just work you know whatever yeah. but so we're still in the very beginning of establishing the relationship mm-hmm. but I'm paying her I think 25 bucks an hour okay. to, and she'll like come over to my house do her business so she has access to me and to like ask whatever questions and then she'll like move on and yeah. I, it'll probably work out to be every month or every quarter depending on how busy I am Mm-hmm. Um, and then my CPA is a little bit more mysterious for me, mm-hmm. but, um, I feel like there's some ratio with my taxes. Like I pay taxes quarterly, so yeah. I rarely have like an, a, unless I'm having like an insane fourth quarter, like I rarely have an unexpected tax bill. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean like they've really worked it out for me and that's why you hire someone yeah and i i fully like while i'm totally into doing stuff myself i am not into dealing with the irs myself that yeah. shit is intimidating mm-hmm. and i don't want to screw it up yeah i think it's like very valuable to understand that like i think i paid 500 dollars to get my taxes done this last year and i knew they were really complicated and i did not organize anything for her so yeah praise be my bad that was a pretty good deal yeah it's pretty good yeah Speaking of that, though, what do you pay yourself? Like when you do commissions, I'm sure you break it down like your material costs, your labor. But like, do you have your uh, in your mind an hour that you pay yourself? So I base it on a shop hourly. Mm -hmm. And that is I try to do seventy five dollars an hour. If it's a rush job, it's one hundred and twenty five. And that doesn't tend to work out to be actually what it is becomes yeah but i'm comfortable with it Mm -hmm. i can stand by that um and it does pay for everything that i need like your overhead too like even your light bill or water bill everything works out and i am usually able to save some money and like do something like buy something for the job or whatever you know yeah and what it also works out the way my personal business works out Mm -hmm. because only because it's just me I don't have payroll other than myself I have a personal stipend every month about five hundred dollars and that pays for some food but because I run an arts business you have a you pay yourself five hundred dollars a month that's your yeah. stipend for wait for for just like whatever if i want to go out drinking or it's like oh, my allowance okay i was like like that's food? what your salary is no 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 
Yeah. It's like basic. It's that's like my official salary. Yeah. But what it also is is that like I pay for half of my food through my business because oh, okay. I'm eating on the job. Like yeah. I, this machine is part of the business. Yeah. Or my my personal machine is yeah, part yeah. of the business, and that machine needs fuel, and that is the form of calories and food. Um, if I go out. I pay for it on my business card because yeah. inevitably, almost certainly, I'm going out with other artists. We're going to talk about art. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about making stuff. We're having drinks after this. We're going to talk about art. Yeah. Like yeah. Business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the justification for my per- measly personal allowance. Like if I'm going to bring my friends like I have a lot of friends who aren't artists also. Yeah. So like I'm just pretty honest with what I'm like my intentions are with the money where it's like this is going to be a business. There is going to be business here. Yeah. Some people are like more le- lenient than others and I feel like I have a pretty reasonable middle ground where I wouldn't feel like I was putting my bookkeeper who is my power of attorney mm-hmm. in a compromising situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good too. You have to remember that. I remember somebody told me that they had their, like a jeweler had their studio and their house and they got- That's deductible. Yeah, but it's an easy way to get, um, what's that thing? Audited. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That word. So I have my house in my studio. So I built, basically like I bought a building already eight years ago and I have a- Half of it is my studio, which is a small, I mean, it's a small half. It's a 1300 square foot studio. Yeah. Then I have a 700 square foot rental. Mm -hmm. Then I have a 600 square foot apartment. And it's great. It's perfect. Oh man. I want to come visit and see that. Come over soon. Well, I know. I told you I've never been to New Orleans because you know, it's gotta be the right time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you passed it this year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's, so it's like, it's a sweet spot and, um, and it's, that's nice you have a rental to help pay your property taxes totally, or whatever. Totally. That's smart. Yeah. I have a great situation. And he's glorious. He does letterpress. Oh, cool. And he's just, it's like very relieving to not be alone. Like, like if I hurt myself during the day, like he'd yeah. probably be there. Yeah. And I could just be like, oh, John, please, I'm hurt. And he'd come <laughs> over. He'd be yeah. right there. That's so, cool. yeah, because like I work alone. I live alone. I'm I like being alone. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. But that also when it comes to um, how I price commissions, it depends on like what kind of work I perceive that the commission is going to be. So if I perceive I'm going to need help, I hire someone. And that Mm. added cost goes into that number. And I pay, I I think I pay people pretty well. Can I Um, ask what you pay? I'm trying to pay everyone 25 bucks an hour if they have experience. That's if nice. If they have experience. Well, yeah, because with, especially with blacksmithing, the learning curve is... It's long. It's real long. Very long. So. So I hope I have some of these projected on the future. And so like, as far as my survey of people who, um, were, who I'm interested in working with, mm-hmm. like 25 an hour was like a reasonable wage for them. It, it was like worth them leaving the job that they were at to come and do yeah um somewhat based on they're my friends and somewhat based on like the job would probably be interesting and a little bit different um but 
it was enough that like they weren't going to be put out and like I'd get them a room it'd be fine nice. so. oh yeah because sometimes like you have friends well, from out of town come oh yeah there's no one else in New Orleans no <laughs> Have you had Eric Smith come down? You know, we used to work together. No, because he's got a great thing going on. Yeah, is he I, Chattanooga? He is. Yeah, yeah, And he's doing, I was there um, after I saw you, and he's just doing great, and his, like, shop is super sweet, and he's got a little baby yeah, partner, cool. and he's, yeah. So he hasn't, but we used to do projects together so yeah um, but you have a good network to call upon I do and and it's been really nice to provide um, like other women and gender non-conforming people with like a safe space so that's another aspect and I didn't want to dwell on it because it could be the easy topic to talk about like I also don't want to dwell on it but it's really important yeah like I don't want to also it's like I pride myself on asking and bringing up the topics that not everybody always wants to talk about and for a female I mean my experience blacksmithing was a concentration at Penland so you know and I really lucked out because I had this instructor Jay Burnham Kidwell amazing he's amazing oh my god I don't personally know him but like Mark Krause is a good friend of mine and like I know he was helping out with that for a little while working on the hammers Um, but he was really great and the the other thing about him was that he had a jewelry background right uh, so because there's this also like I mean generalizing here but there's some snotty blacksmiths who are like tiny shiny very snotty I know it's like you know what go yourself because we work on this tiny little scale and yes you have this power hammer but like it's it's a different skill set and it takes a different type of focus definitely but Jay was so amazing he's like yeah, I'll set you up a little jewelry bench in the corner. You can do whatever you want. And oh, his assistant was this guy, Adam Kaiser, who I also couldn't have asked for the the sweetest assistant. He's good. He literally Great. was a rocket scientist for NASA. There are so many blacksmiths <laughs> who are also rocket scientists. I can't believe it. Like, like literally rocket real, scientists. Yeah, working at JPL. <laughs> working at NASA. I was like, I Amazing. didn't think you guys actually existed. Amazing. Um, Blow my mind. But like with that, what I think the most intimidating thing for me signing up for a blacksmithing concentration was just feeling like it was going to be competitive and I was going to be judged or just like the kind of, you know, personalities and uh, things that can kind of go with that. And I definitely saw that at Penland. Like people like to think Penland is this like magical, perfect place. But you know what? There's chauvinistic pigs that come there too. And there's situations that happen. Um... But I did just want to touch on it as like I like you brought it up like creating a safe space for like hiring women blacksmiths which I think is really important because it is a minority in that field yeah and I've had some really rotten experiences that I don't want to go into extensively but ultimately the result has been that I've become a significantly more skeptical and jaded and protective person both of myself and my friends Mm -hmm. and I'm first one to go to task and like every snarky comment opens the door as long as it's not so snarky that I'm paralyzed with anger yeah and humiliated Mm -hmm. um which is also what happens when people feel entitled to comment about your person yeah um because it's very uh uncomfortable and humiliating Mm -hmm. especially in public and um the result of that and like a lot of people who I've spoken with is that 
there's a very, very small initiative that two other women and I have um, taken on, and we've invited a total of 13 women to a mountain this August. And so ah, I'm, this is the first all time. Blacksmiths? Like all blacksmiths? All blacksmiths. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And so the hope is that this kind of open the initiative is called WAMBI, Women and Minorities Blacksmithing Initiative. And so the hope is that this event sparks a bigger movement where like Mm -hmm. there will be 13 founding members and like the three of us who've like initiated this group will be amongst them. We won't, you know, it will be a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. There are people of all different ranges and experiences. Mm -hmm. And the hope is that this will create a more diverse face a current in the stream to support where like people do have access to places where it won't be uncomfortable. Like I, in my past I pursued doing a more traditional journeyman thing and it didn't work out because even though I pursued doing something with a woman or with like friendly seeming men, it became compromised very quickly yeah um and when you say journeyman for those that don't know that's more of like apprenticeship style yeah like an itinerant blacksmithing kind of thing which i want to pursue very badly and i wanted to but i um it took a turn for the worse very quickly and i was discouraged and um and I needed to not, and I needed to protect myself and not put myself purposefully into potentially really uh, dangerous situations or, or compromising yeah. situations. And that was, that has been the sentiment of many people. Um, and also, like, I've been having, I had one, and I hope to have more of like femme, queer, like gender non-conforming, like doesn't matter who you are, kind of like hammer-ins, because mm-hmm. that's really important to me. Like, What's a hammer-in? Like when people get together and hammer stuff. Oh, because you do need them, like if you're forging like hammerheads, you need like a partner. Yeah, there's, like yeah, blacksmithing I've, is a team sport. I've been a hammer-in. Yeah, yeah well I that's like up. a striker. Oh, okay, so I was like a, a hammer-in <laughs> is when like a group of people get together and so they, that that kind of work can happen. Yeah, because it really is is a team sport. It is such a team sport and not recognizing that is not honest. Yeah. And so that's been like a really wonderful thing and like props to my friend Sachi for like reaching out to other people mm-hmm. because they just have the connections and I am so antisocial that I've wanted to do this thing for forever. The Wambi thing? Well, something along that lines, but then, but just smaller, like much less official in my own yeah. personal shop, just having people come over and smash yeah, it up. I was just going to say, it was like, you seem like you would be the most amazing mentor, like, or maybe like down the line, you know, that apartment's empty and you bring on an apprentice where... The hope is like... Yeah. Well, I've been very, very fortunate for the last few years to have people call me up and be like, can I come and work with you? And I'm like, why would you want to do that? But then I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yes, of course. Like, I hope I can make this a successful thing. Mm-hmm. So um, on June 5th, which is very, very soon, yeah. a woman is coming over to work with me from Australia. What? How did yeah. you get that lined up? Did she reach out to you? She did. Um, we have some mutual friends um, and connections, but 
she is coming over for most of the summer and we're, she's coming with me to this event in August oh and God, cool. to the Richmond conference. And so we've worked out what I think will be pretty good. I have a big, scary project to work on. Mm-hmm. And so before her, um, I've had a few other people passing through and like working with me for a few weeks and it's been so lovely and now I feel like I have these dear lifelong friends and people mm-hmm. who I trust and um oh, my and mentor I still call all the time just talk to her for two hours there almost oh, right. you know yay. yeah it's important it. I mean like my mentor and I really haven't spent a whole ton of time together um but I like I'm one of those people that like I just like to talk on the phone so like yeah. and we email and he's just nothing but supportive and um his name is Jeffrey Funk, and I talk about him all Good the time. Good name. Oh, he's the best. Um, <laughs> everything about him, just super open. Um, and he, so, like, I take that kind of, I take it really seriously. I take yeah. it having a successful experience really seriously because, like, some of my first experiences were not so successful. Oh, I've had some shit interns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I was the intern, and it was a bad experience. That's yeah. What I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Like really unfortunate ones and some yeah. really wonderful ones. But yeah. the the ones that were not so great were really not so great and they've mm-hmm. really stuck. And I'm like, I will make this better. I will I t- like Pay know what I don't want to have happen. Yeah. And when people come through, do you do you host them? Do they like stay with you and you cook them dinner? My or? house is really, really small. Yeah. And. It's like you don't want to live on top of someone you're working with. Like, like I work really hard mm-hmm. and I tend to work very long days because projects kind of um, pile up and I just can't like I don't have a stop button. Mm-hmm. It's like a press and a minus and whatever. It's like I just don't. And yeah. so days get really long. Um, they are totally in charge depending on like what is asked of them. They are definitely in charge of themselves like yeah they have to take care of themselves first yeah um but we're in we're like really communicative we really talk about like what is needed and all that so ultimately it's been amazing because like i haven't gone out too much because once they once jobs started rolling in i'm like can't just leave and not do this like this will be cool and i'm not good enough at like whatever every job just takes up it's like a gas you know it just takes up whatever space it's allowed yeah um and more um but the the whole journeyman apprentice thing is just so awesome yeah i've learned so much and met so many wonderful people and gotten such connections and like i get to glean whoever like information and knowledge off of people who pass through and like i hope that i I hope that they have such an uh, fortunate, like a, such a interesting experience at my place. But for this woman, I'm renting her a room with really good air conditioning. Nice. Um, it depends New on Orleans like she's not. Yeah, I hope. I'm yeah. so worried about it. Um, my shop is really, really hot. Yeah. Um, and I'm reasonably acclimated, but I'm not looking forward to it. It can be like 130 degrees and 90 percent humidity in there. Do you use gas forge? Or? I use a gas forge yeah. primarily. Um, Good Lord. It's really hot. Yeah. And 
I worry about it. But last year, I discovered these sponge sweatbands, and that was a total <laughs> game changer. Oh, okay, good. Because <laughs> they like, like I would wake up and my eyes would be like swollen from all the sweat dripping in there, and then I put this uh, sponge sweatband on, and like it soaks up all this all the sweat. Nice. Change in the midday, put in the freezer, whatever. It's great. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's kind of torture. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sort of depends. Like, if people have connections that they want to live in. So, I try to feed people during the day, and like, yeah. my house is open. They can eat, snack. I definitely like their snacks, whatever. Um, my apprentice or my mentor always get, made me lunch. I just love that. Like, mm-hmm. it's nice to f- eat together. It's really um, a good bonding experience where you can yeah. sort of debrief and also just have a relationship that's not just metal because it's all not all rainbows and kisses like you're working for somebody they're critiquing you the whole time because you need that person to make your work up to your standards and so that's a really delicate relationship and it can be very easy to take it personal when someone's like oh you didn't solder these 20 things correctly so you have to redo it for me you know like yeah that's tough and I have a hard time um I am very critical and I work very hard to be as meticulous as I'm able. Yeah. And and so I have high expectations Mm -hmm. and when it's really hot and everyone's crabby, it's just, it's extra hard. So I can imagine the hope is that, um, I think that, I think it'll be okay. Like she has a, um, very, very harsh Australian accent and, um, so I think that, and, and she's also very honest and she's very forthcoming. And I think that she'll Those work out good. really, really well because I am also honest and forthcoming. And sometimes my voice is very harsh and p- some people, um, deal with the words that I'm saying. And some people deal with the tone that's coming from, which, mm. you know, is couched in hot, hot, maybe hungry crabbiness, you yeah. know, where it's just like, I'm crabby. I, this is not working out. It's me. But my words to you are to you. My intonation is probably like my own slave driver self. Yeah. Like no one drives anyone harder than I drive or I don't drive anyone harder than I drive myself. Yeah. You sound like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) I have an interest and I feel like I want to find somebody to do a whole topic of this, but how's your personal life? Because I recently have been like earnestly trying to date like go out on dates and like find somebody I might want to spend some time with. But I have really realized in the last couple of years is like my work and my career always come first. Um, do you have a hard time with that? Like finding balance for relationships, not even like necessarily like romantic, but like relationships in your life. Like yeah. People. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, uh, it's becoming a, I had a, uh, intimate relationship that recently stopped being a thing Mm. um and i've had a lot of partners through the years Mm -hmm. my friendships off are like wonderful and very intimate and like i it's all you know everything's always in flux like a lot of people are having kids and that like makes our timelines and like the things that we do together a little different yeah um but i love spending time with my friends families like that's cool um 
it's really wonderful. Like I don't personally want to have a family. Yeah. Um, that's like something that I have so much respect for people who can pull off, but like, I don't think that I could pull off making a living by myself, um, and being a pregnant lady. Okay. Like, like <laughs> men have that, like, yeah, men have that. Uh, they can do it because yeah. they're not pregnant. pregnant. Um, I will just, say I've seen a very pregnant woman use a power hammer. It's oh, like yeah. the hottest thing. Um, Erica Gordon. Do you know oh, her? I don't. I really would like to meet her. Oh, man. And she's a petite thing. So when she was pregnant, she was pregnant. Yeah, and seeing sure. her use a power hammer, I was like, oh, my God. This I mean, like, that's amazing. It's huge. Yeah. And like what Megan Crowley and lots and Alice James and like all of these women, like they are so it's so respectable and I'm like in awe of that tenacity and that devotion to like that's their choice that's what they want and I'm so impressed by that and like men who can who are like really present fathers like that's just so beautiful and I'm like but for me like something would have to change in like my pursuit because like the I've seen like a lot of people where it's like they're doing this thing and they're dragging their families through all this stuff. And then at a certain point, like they make a decision and sometimes it's like not their family. And I don't like that. It's like, that's Mm -hmm. like a thing where I'm like, Ooh, you might say all the right things, but you just made the wrongest choice. Yeah. Like there's nothing more important than those little guys that you made. Yeah. And like for me, there is. And I like, don't have a, I don't, I mean, I I said this when I was in, I think I was in seventh grade. I had to draw a picture of me and what I wanted to be when I grew up. My grandpa, oof, I want to know where it went, but my parents passed, my grandpa passed, and I still haven't found it. Um, but it's a picture of me in a power suit, stick figure, because let's be Hell real, yeah. I'm not a very good drawer. But then in the corner, you know those like non-smoking, you know, it's a circle with a cigarette and a slash. There's a baby in that. I drew that. I literally drew that. Amazing. I've, I think that that's been like pretty much my consensus also <laughs> probably since then like it's just not been a thing that i'm interested in yeah and, and it's, it's fine it it's takes fine. all types it's never wavered either like everybody's like oh well you know you get to your 30s it's like i'm coming up on 33 and i'm just waiting for this thing to kick in that people keep yeah. telling me where i'm magically really gonna want a baby yeah i'm 36 and i'm like when will i stop bleeding already <laughs> Because, like, half of my life is crazy and bleeding. And, like, that's another thing that, like, people don't get. It's like, in pain. That's fun. In pain, being like breathless cramps and breathless from the work that is happening. And I'm just like, this is. Oh, man. That's a a fun disadvantage. I mean, yeah. It's special. Yeah, it is special. It's a special thing that we get to experience, and there aren't many of us on that train, but boy, <laughs> we, we like, you know, have fist bumps about that one. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about the upcoming conference or collective movement you're creating um, that's going to take place in, wait, Oregon? In Oregon. It's an invitational, and so it's a yeah. little bit... Like it's a little weird to talk about because we've been planning it for a year and we haven't talked about it. Well, you're not you're not but trying to be exclusive. You're no. just trying to start something, and when you do that, you can't let it be just free reign. Yeah. So we, me and the two other women who organized it, um, Lisa Geertsen and Ann Bujold, we like you know we agonized about who to invite and where to do it and all of this stuff. And like you know, some things it's it's going to be a very interesting 
things that evolves and I'm very excited about all of the participants and I'm very excited about what's going to happen and like if it becomes something more or if it becomes a really nice thing that we did once yeah so who knows who knows because like I hope it becomes a real movement in the and like I hope it becomes more than just us but I'm not going to run an organization for my whole life. Like, yeah. I'm doing a lot of other things. Like, I'm... This is just one more way you're advocating for something... Something and bigger. Ex- yeah, and, and that's like, exciting. Yeah, it's like, like a, I'm always trying to figure out how to contribute. Like, yeah. this other thing that I'm organizing that I have to promote a little bit better, but I've been, like, really <laughs> Do you struggling. want a moment? Can I take a moment? You get, Girl... The mic is yours. Promote. Um, so I'm organizing a, a contemporary ironwork slash metalwork show called Metaformation. And application submissions are due uh, mid-July. And the jurors are Andy Cooperman of Seattle Jewelry fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haas Haley of Haas Haley. I know that guy. Hey. And... Um, Sarah Darrow, who's a curatorial fellow at the Houston Center for Contemporary Craft. Oh, wow. So these jurors were specifically chosen because the idea behind the show is to create a curatorial discourse that is lacking in blacksmithing Mm -hmm. slash larger metalworking, not sculpture, but, you know, cast metalwork is so different than forged metalwork. Yeah. And so to create a curatorial discourse on the lines of like the jewelry, the contemporary jewelry movement takes a lot of development and it has to start. And there's just like not the Metals Museum in Memphis has done such incredible work. And like Mm -hmm. Carissa Hassong has been incredibly instrumental in helping me organize this. Oh, cool. And um, Delith Dunn of the Hereford College of Arts in England has been just a booing supportive saint and um but ultimately the hope is like there's very few opportunities to show forged metal work especially contemporary stuff and like what yeah. is actually possible and so i did a show in conjunction with snag in new orleans last year and it was so well received and it just seemed like such a shame that it could just be that blip yeah and then i really felt like I should just I'm I have some momentum and this is a really hard thing that like I'm interested in and I would like to pursue. Yeah. And I have been collecting catalog contributions and I have it kind of the catalog is kind of getting worked out and the traveling stops are developing. So wait, so is there going to be a call for this? or is There's there a, a call already out. Oh, you is can it on find Cafe or where? No, I didn't go with Cafe because I'm trying to, it's, Cafe is kind of expensive, we found out last year. Oh, okay. Um, and so I'm doing it on a form. There is a submission fee. It's $25. Mm-hmm. The The submission, I wanted it to be cheaper, but like. That's average. I'm just fine. like, there's like people to pay already that yeah. I've just been fronting. Yeah, yeah. And like catalog printing primarily are expensive so it's really expensive so like i don't have money for that and so the hope is that i can get an editor and do the stuff with that that money but who knows it's 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 all up in the air Mm -hmm. um i will probably front a lot of it but that's my choice um hopefully it'll come back so there's a 
a stop currently in at the Appalachian Center for Craft, and there's nice. a couple others other under negotiation. I hope that it's more than just that, but if it's that with a catalog with really well thought out essays about what is happening in art and blacksmithing and the environment and art as activism, I won't be upset. No. Um, and I hope the participants aren't. Um, and sometimes people see shows and hear about it later and then, then they ask. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping that I'll be able to send the cat, use the catalog that I'm desperately compiling to promote it to other venues. Yeah. Um, so the link is on my Instagram, which is at red metal, the, and it's on Facebook in a bunch of groups and it's on the Abana website and it's on the snag springboard. Okay. Um, so and for listeners I'll definitely put uh description of the podcast I'll put all this information in there Amazing. when's the closing of the the call? closing of the call is July 15th so you oh, still okay. have some time yeah you're gonna make it yeah yeah because you'll probably be published in June oh, okay yeah. great I'll publish you I'll make sure to publish you ahead of time so people Aww. can hear about this and like help Thanks, the cause Sarah. that's cool yeah um yeah the so that's like a thing that is kind of inspired by this other group that is more fluid than the one that's happening this August. But there's been like talk about contemporary blacksmithing group and like how to be a professional, like how to make a professional organization. And like, I don't know if jewelers have that. Do you? What do you mean? Like snag? Like more than snag, like Mm. a professional resource business. Are there professional resources like oh, yeah. curated like, through Snag? Mm, yeah, Snag does some stuff, and I know that there's this like Flourish and Thrive Academy, which was like two women that did jewelry a long time. I mean, I think there's things like that. There's nothing that really sticks out in my mind. Okay, but, I'm I'm like really uh, curious about it. <laughs> Me too, sister. Yeah, like like <laughs> this kind of conversation is so important, and like having frank discussions within fields, and like having individuals like who can influence each other to like you know high tide lifts all boats yeah like, that's a thing oh, that's a nice saying i don't think i've heard that one really before. that's high like tide a lifts thing all boats. i feel like i i don't know who said that to me but like you can see it and like that's not been the sentiment of my immediate group of other metal workers in mm-hmm. the city it's like because people are hungry there's not a lot of work yeah people are not like people are in like say philadelphia where like if someone gets a job everyone's on deck yeah um which i think is just so beautiful and enviable and yeah. like you know people here like they hang out that's so <laughs> awesome people in my local group not some it's like not i have to p- kind of bully people to do projects with me it's like, whatever <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, well, is there anything else you want to plug? We've been talking. I could talk to you for like a whole other hour. You're welcome, listeners. This is a long episode. So <laughs> break it up into two parts if you need Sorry. to. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like the longer, I, the more interviews I do, it's just getting to talk to people. We could go on tangents forever. There's all these other aspects so I could talk to, to you talk about. about. But we should probably wrap it up because we're at over an hour and a half so oh wow okay talk forever (laughs) so chatty (laughs) no that and i'm hungry so yeah 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 she's not in her head yes um well thank you so much for 
coming on the podcast and Thanks talking for about having me. I think this is one of the most fascinating podcasts that like <laughs> I get to listen to and I binge on it, honestly. Wow. Like I don't have, yeah, I, I ha- can't hear most of the time when things are going on. Like either it's oh, so yeah. loud in my head or it's so loud outside of it or both. Yeah. So I look forward to when I get to binge on my my perceived value. Oh, well, so. thank you, Rachel. That's so nice to hear. You should tell other people that so they start paying me. <laughs> I will do what I can do. Yeah, thanks. I talk about it a lot. Oh, I don't worry. That. The whole, <laughs> the, the fundraising campaign is coming, people. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you again for coming on Perceived Value. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Until next time. Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron visit patreon.com slash perceived value to learn more or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.